As we begin our service together, we didn't have any announcements this week, and so I asked to replace Dan, who does our normal welcome announcements on Sunday. And I know Dan's great to look at. He's funny. He's clear. He's engaging. But I'm afraid you're stuck with me for this uh, introduction to our service. Uh, I asked to do it because I want to give you a bit of an update. And as you watch and hopefully participate in our worship, you'll probably understand uh, that we are using some previous uh, worship segments from previous services. We had to do that this weekend uh, because we had several cases of COVID show up this past weekend uh, from our Thursday night practice through to our Sunday services. Uh, there's uh, cases in some staff and uh, volunteers, three cases in total right now. Um, and all are doing well. We're thankful for that. Mild symptoms only. And uh, the team, which is a worship and tech team that we're serving this past Sunday, are isolating. And so this impacts our ability to uh, record and to uh, lead and participate in uh, full worship service. And so this weekend and next weekend, uh, we are going to pull some worship from previous services. We're thankful that Stephen, uh, when he preached last Sunday, wasn't around any of the team, uh, just because there was just a handful of people in, really just the worship and tech team. And so he was able to come in this week and record his ser uh, sermon uh, for this Sunday. We're also immensely thankful to the Lord uh, that the elders made a decision for last weekend uh, that they would uh, cancel in-person services. Uh, this reduced us from the 15% per service down to just around 10 within a few of 10 people. This decision was made far before we had any indication there would be COVID uh, in our weekend uh, team in any way. Uh, we just believe the Lord was leading us that after watching our premier's announcement and hearing his concern and some of the things he expressed, we thought this was the best way to love and serve our people is to take this extra caution. And now on this side of it, immensely thankful to the Lord that we did that because that's about 200 people now who aren't potentially impacted by some COVID cases that were in our church last weekend. And this is the first time in a year through this entire pandemic we have faced this or had this. And so we're very thankful for God's provision and protection through all of this. Please pray for those who have the virus as I said, mild symptoms right now. Pray that that would continue. They would heal quickly. Pray for the other team members, both volunteers and staff, uh, that they would be protected from getting it and, and families and friends, anybody that they're in contact with. And uh, I was out last Sunday myself. I came just before the service started. I didn't have very much interaction at all with the team. I left right after my prayer uh, because again, we're trying to keep our numbers as low as possible. Uh, but I myself am isolating. That's why I'm filming, filming this on my computer and in my family room. And so uh, that's kind of where we're at. Let's continue to pray for those impacted. Uh, our elders are deeply concerned uh, by the impact this has had on not just our staff, but especially our volunteers, some of whom are now having to miss work and uh, school implications and things like that. And it's a significant impact on all with along with the health concerns as well. As a result of this, we are right in the process or beginning a process to review and go over our procedures and protocols. And uh, we, our desire is always to submit to our government as scripture calls us to, also to care 
uh, and, and do the right and best thing for our people, respecting our people and all people, but also to fulfill our mission that God has given us and to stay faithful in that. So we appreciate your prayers uh, for us and for those who are sick as well. These are not easy days on any of us, but God is uh, on his throne still and we look to him and trust in him. Let me pray as we begin our service together. Father, we thank you for your sovereign leadership in our lives, in our church, in this world. And we submit ourselves, yield ourselves to you. We trust you in all things. You are always good and always doing good. And it's confusing to us who walk by faith, not by sight. But we choose by faith to trust you, to praise you, to give thanks to you. We do pray for those who have contracted the, 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 the COVID virus again or have con got that this is the first time. And we just pray for them. We pray for health. We pray for protection. We pray that you will heal them quickly. We pray for their family and loved ones. Uh, Father, we pray for others who are out on the weekend serving. Thank you for their faithfulness. Protect them as well from getting this. Uh, Father, and for others outside of our little circle here, we just ask your healing hand and, and for your provision in our, our city, our province and country in this world in a, a very difficult time and situation. And so I thank you for those who serve so faithfully all the time here. And as we now move into a time of worship in the word in a way none of us would want, um, very disconnected at home, but we thank you that your word is not bound and your spirit is present wherever we are. And so in this time in worship in the word, we pray you would exalt your son, make much of your name, edify and build up your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Offering all 
we have a strong hope in these difficult times. Amen. We have a Savior. We have a King. We have an author of salvation. His name is Jesus. And we worship you, Lord, this morning. We bless your name this morning.
Father, you are the hope of the nations. Our glorious Savior, Father, help us be lights to a world that needs you, Lord. Praise your name for this moment, this day, this moment of this day that you've given to us, to gather, to be the church, to be strengthened as we sing, as we celebrate all that you are, all that you've done. Receive our worship, Lord, this morning. Praise your name. The church says amen together. Barely hanging on by a thread of hope, hard to see beyond everything unknown. With your strength, I'll stand. It's all I can do. I will lift my hands and sing my way through. So when I'm broken at my weakest in my darkest hour, I'll let my worship be a weapon on this battleground. From the depths of the Lord, I will give you the highest praise, the highest praise. I'm hanging on to every word you speak. I can see beyond to the victory. Lord, you never laugh. Lord, you never change. All my The cross put the enemy to shame. It's true, it's true. And my song echoes through an empty Yeah. 
praying Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord. It endures forever. Praise the Lord. Father, this is your word. It's precious. We know we can trust it. We can trust you. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, good morning, Redemption Bible Chapel. I invite you now to take God's word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We have some unfinished business in Matthew chapter 10. This is our third Sunday looking at it, studying it together. And there are a few remaining verses that require our attention. And just as you're turning there, I want to just uh, draw your attention to a little verse. It's tucked away in Romans chapter 15. I believe it's verse 4 or 5, where the Apostle Paul refers, he speaks of the encouragement of the Scriptures, which are able to give us hope. The encouragement of the Scriptures, uh, by which we have hope. And I think that's a very profitable way to think of God's Word, to think of the Bible, to think of the Scriptures as a word of encouragement. And that is my goal as we turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, my goal is to give you a word of encouragement. In particular, five words of encouragement. So that's where we're going this morning. That's my, my aim and I'll mention them in due course, five words of encouragement, but we need to lay the foundation, lay the groundwork, set the context. And so if you found Matthew chapter 10, I want to begin by reminding you, if you've been listening the past couple of Sundays, you already know this, so here it is again. I want to remind you that in this chapter, we have three main principal sections. The first section begins in verse 1. It goes all the way through to verse 15. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, that is the first section. And here the Lord Jesus commissions his disciples. It is his first commissioning of the disciples. We have a parallel account in Mark chapter 6. And Luke chapter 9, you can turn there and you can read of parallel accounts of this first commissioning. It occurred during Christ's earthly ministry, whereby the Lord Jesus sent out the disciples. And so it was fulfilled while the Lord Jesus was with them. And just notice what the Lord Jesus does. Firstly, right in verse 1 of chapter 10, he calls his 12 disciples to himself. Why 12 disciples? That number 12 is very significant. It should remind us of the 12 tribes of Israel. And ever since the beginning of his gospel account, Matthew has been demonstrating that the Lord Jesus is the true Israel. And now he's expanding this thought a little bit. And he is clearly identifying that those who follow the Lord Jesus, they therefore are part of the true Israel. And in these 12 disciples, the Lord Jesus is establishing something new. And these disciples, these apostles, they become the foundation of the church. And notice secondly right there in the first verse that the Lord Jesus gives them authority. 
authority over diseases, authority over demons, and this authority is given to them to authenticate the message that they are declaring as his representatives. And then notice thirdly in verse 5, after that list, those 12 names in verses 2 through 4, notice in verse 5 that the Lord Jesus actually sends them out. Where are they to go? They're not to go to the Samaritans right now. They're not to go to the Gentiles. They are to focus on the Jews. Why? Because the Jews possess the Old Testament scriptures. The Jews possess the, the Old Covenant. The Jews possess the Messianic promises. And so the disciples, their first order of business is to go throughout Israel among the Jews and to preach. And so what is it that they are to preach? Right there in verse 7. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or as we read in Mark, as we also read in Luke, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what John the Baptist preached, the greatest prophet in the Old Covenant, really the last prophet of the Old Covenant. And this is what the Lord Jesus preached, the first prophet of the New Covenant. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what they are to take in verses 9 and 10. They're not supposed to take anything. No silver, no copper, no bag for their journeys. They're not to take two tunics. They're to make no provision as they go out. But they are to look to their fellow countrymen to sustain them. And what are they to expect? Beginning in verse 11, right through to verse 15, the response will be mixed. Some will welcome them, some will receive them, and some will reject them and want absolutely nothing to do with them. And when that happens, those people are actually bringing condemnation upon themselves, and the disciples are to symbolize that reality by shaking the dust, verse 14, from their feet whenever they leave that house or they leave that town. So that's the first commissioning of the disciples. It happened while Christ was on earth. And then in the second section, verse 16 through to verse 25, we have Christ's second commissioning of the disciples. And we read of it parallel passages in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. And this is a sending out which really happens after Christ's ascension. And it concerns this, this period of time between Christ's ascension and what the Lord Jesus identifies as his coming. Right there in verse 23, you're to flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now this is tricky. Because in Matthew, when we read of Christ's coming, it might actually refer to one of two different things. At times, Matthew is speaking to the second coming, the parousia, the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And at times, which I think is the case here in, in Matthew 10, he's referring to Christ's coming in judgment in A.D. 70, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem.
Jerusalem. And I think that's what's in view here. And the Lord Jesus sends them out, and they go out after Pentecost. And the Lord Jesus says, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes, before that day of judgment arrives. And what are they to expect as they go? In verse 16 and verse 17 and verse 18, they're going to experience terrible opposition. They're going to experience terrible persecution. And what are they to say in verse 19? They're not to be anxious about how to speak or what to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And what are they to do? Well, again, the response will be mixed. Some will receive and welcome them. Some will reject and despise them. And as they experience or whenever they experience persecution, verse 23, they are to leave that town. They are to flee to the next. And they are wherever they go to preach this simple message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we have these two commissionings. Again, the first, verses 1 through 15. The second, verses 16 through 25. And the Lord Jesus is warning them. He's informing them as to what's going to happen as they go as his representatives to preach. And in effect, he is telling them, this is going to be difficult. This is going to involve trials and tribulations. And just as men have hated me, so too they will hate you on my account. That's not a very positive message. That's not a very encouraging message. That's not exactly a shot in the arm as he sends them out. And he knows they're going to struggle with this. And he knows the fear of man is going to grip them at times. And it's going to be a challenge to persevere and to endure. And so this brings us to the third section in the sermon, beginning in verse 26. It goes all the way through to the end, verse 42, in which the Lord Jesus seeks to encourage his disciples. And he does so by making three points. Number one, fear God above all else. That's verses 26 through 33. We looked at it two Sundays ago. Number two, love God above all else. That's verses 34 through 39. And we considered those verses last Sunday. The third point the Lord Jesus makes as he encourages and equips his disciples for the opposition which they will undoubtedly face. Serve God above all else. And that is found in verses 40 through 42. And that brings us to our text for today. Follow along now as I read it. The Lord Jesus declares, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose 
his reward. And so stay with the Lord Jesus. What's he doing here? He's encouraging them. He's equipping them. He wants to enable them to face that opposition that is coming. So how do these verses accomplish that end? Essentially what the Lord Jesus does is this. He shares two facts with his disciples. And then he leaves it to them to draw an obvious conclusion from those facts. It's pretty straightforward. Here is the first fact. The only way to the Father is through the disciples. That's the first fact he shares with them. The only way to the Father is through the disciples. Where do we see that? It's right there in verse 40. Look at what the Lord Jesus says. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. We have something very similar in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Christ declares... The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Do we understand what Christ is saying to his disciples? Again, in just very plain, simple, obvious terms. He is identifying with them. He is declaring that there is an unbreakable relationship, connection between him and them, whereby whoever receives them is receiving him. Whoever welcomes them is welcoming him. Conversely, whoever rejects them is rejecting him. Whoever opposes them is opposing him. And he takes it even a step further because he makes it clear, this is true because I have sent you. And now understand this, the Father has sent me. Therefore, whoever rejects me rejects the Father. Whoever receives me receives the Father. Well, put it all together. Whoever receives you receives the Father. And whoever rejects you is in fact rejecting the Father. There is an unbreakable, indissoluble union, connection, relationship between the Father and the Son and his people, the disciples. And the only way to the Father is through the disciples. The second fact is this. The only way to the reward is through the disciples. And the Lord Jesus says this in basically three different ways. The first is found in verse 41. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. That's the first way. The second, still in verse 41. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. 
And the third, verse 42, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So he makes one point in three ways. How people treat you, my disciples, is of utmost importance. What they think of you is extremely significant to such a degree that there is no reward if they reject you. The reward that is promised, that is held out to all who desire to come to the Father through the Lord Jesus, it is connected to how people receive and what people think of you, my disciples. Oh, the reward, the Lord Jesus speaks of it back in Matthew chapter 5. I think it's verses 13, 12, 13, 14, where he tells us that blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed when people speak ill of you and persecute you for my name's sake. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. And so the Lord Jesus is speaking of eternal life. He is speaking of inheriting the kingdom. And he is making it clear that the only way to the reward is through the disciples. So these are the two facts that he impresses upon them. And he leaves it to them to derive the obvious conclusion. And here it is. The disciples should be encouraged whenever they face opposition. They should be encouraged because the Lord Jesus himself personalizes the treatment they experience at the hands of others. He personalizes it. We can relate to that a little bit. Those of us who have kids, young ones in the home, when they are mistreated or perhaps when someone speaks an unkind word to them, we personalize it. We feel it. We take it very personally. How they are treated, what someone says to them, especially if they suffer an injustice, we see that as a personal affront. You multiply that by a billion and we might be approximating how the Lord Jesus personalizes how his disciples are treated to such an extent that he makes it clear the only way to the Father is through them, through that message which they are declaring. And the only way to the reward is through the disciples and the message they declare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And however they are treated is how the Lord Jesus himself is treated. So fact number one, the only way to the Father is through the disciples. Fact number two, the only way to the reward is through the disciples. And the obvious inference, the only logical conclusion, the disciples should be encouraged whenever they face opposition. Now you remember Romans chapter 15, verse 4. What did I say a few moments ago? There the apostle Paul describes, he speaks of the encouragement of the scriptures the encouragement of the scriptures whereby by which we have hope 
And so I want these scriptures, these verses to come alive. And I want them to encourage us, the Spirit of God, to encourage us by means of the Word of God. And I want to impart to you five encouraging words as they arise from this text, the words of the Lord Jesus. Here is number one. People receive Christ by receiving his message. What is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We cannot separate his message from his person. We cannot separate this message we proclaim. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we receive him? How do we become one with him? We do so by receiving his message. Oh, how we must be clear when it comes to the content of this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It implies three R's. Here's the first, ruin. Repentance implies that man is ruined. Ruined because of his sin. Ruined because there is a governing principle of self-love deep within that colors and taints all that we do, all that we say, all that we think. You know, maybe you can relate to this experience, but I think on occasion, it's only happened once or twice. Uh, it's taken me a while to learn this lesson. But on occasion, you know, maybe I've painted a room at home and it's been a deep blue or plum or some dark color. And I kind of lazily wash the brush afterwards or lazily wash you know, the tin that you pour the paint into. And uh, don't do it carefully. And a couple months later, I decide I'm going to paint another room, but it's going to be sky blue or a very light color. And uh, I sort of pour the new paint into that old tin, and I take that old brush and roll it in the tin and in the paint. And what happens invariably? The paint that stains the brush, the paint that is there in that and it enters into the new paint and it discolors it. It ruins it. Well, that is the very nature and very essence of sin. That there is, by virtue of Adam and Eve's fall, a governing principle of self-love in us that corrupts every word, every thought, every deed, whereby man stands ruined in the sight of God. The second R is this, redemption, or what we might say, rescue. And we get it when we hear that word rescue, we understand that. My mind, uh, for whatever reason goes, was it a year or two ago, those Chilean miners, do you remember this? Trapped in those, that mine shaft in Chile, and that tremendous rescue that occurred live on television. Well, this idea of being trapped, this idea of being imprisoned, the idea of being helpless, that was our condition because of our sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. But the Lord Jesus rescues us. The Lord Jesus redeems us, and he does so by paying the penalty for our sin upon Calvary's cross. And it brings us to the third R, reconciliation. That there is now peace with God through the blood of Christ's 
cross that where at one time there were two warring parties, man and God, now there is a mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And he has made peace through the blood of his cross, whereby when I cry, wash me, O God in heaven above, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. O God in heaven above hears that cry. He hears that prayer. And he is compelled by his love and on the basis of his satisfied justice and wrath in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he forgives us and pours his mercy out upon us. Oh, an old Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson put it so well. God is more willing to pardon than to punish God is far more willing to pardon than to punish. And this pardon, this forgiveness, is made available to all who come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that story of the prodigal son? And there he is with his father. He wants his inheritance. He wants it now. And while living, the father gives the inheritance to his son, off the son goes into a foreign land, lives a depraved life, wastes everything the father has entrusted to him. He's left with nothing. And his situation and circumstances are so deplorable that there he is in the muck and the mire in the pigsty, just living basically off of the husks of corn that feed the swine. And finally he comes to his senses and he realizes his foolishness. He sees his sinfulness. And he determines, I will return to my father and acknowledge my sin. And this is marvelous. This is tremendous. Oh, I, I, I pray we see this. That as that young man returns home, before he even gets to his father's house, before he even sets one foot on his father's property, his father is there watching his father is there waiting, and his father sees him coming from afar off, and he runs to him, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. Oh, God is more willing to pardon than to punish. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, we are ruined by our sin. Oh, yes, there is wonderful redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, there is reconciliation, peace with God for all who come to him through Christ. Oh, that is the first encouraging word. Here is the second encouraging word. The church's mission is an overflow of God's mission. We see that in verse 40, that the Father has sent the Son the Son sends his people. And so there is this relationship between the Father, the Son, and his people. And in John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus, as he prays on behalf of his people, he utters these words, O righteous Father, these know that you have sent me. 
These know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Earlier in John 14, verse 31, we hear the Lord Jesus declaring, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so the Father sends his eternal Son in time. Why? So that the Son might reveal the Father's love for him. That he might reveal the Father's love for him. Not only that, but so that that same love might be in his people. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And the Son's desire in coming is that we might know that love too. And now the Son sends us out. And here's the wonderful reality that as the Father loved the Son and the Son revealed that love in time, so too the Father loves the Spirit and the Spirit seals that love to us in time. And now we are sent. And our mission is the overflow of our enjoyment of God's love for us. Well, this is what we say to the woman whose husband has abandoned her. This is what we say to the executive who is consumed with his work. This is what we say to the young woman whose father left when she was a child. This is what we say to the young man who thinks life is all about the next high. This is what we say to the criminal who's going to face the rest of his life behind bars. Oh, this is what we say to the sinner. The father loves. The son reveals the father's love. And the spirit seals the Father's love, whereby the Apostle Paul can celebrate in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, the church's mission as we go is simply an overflow of God's mission and an overflow of the love of our triune God. Here is the third encouraging word. Seemingly small acts of love are pleasing in God's sight. Look at verse 42. Don't miss it, please. And whoever gives one of these little ones, the little ones are the disciples, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Just a cup of cold water. Seemingly small acts of love are pleasing in God's sight. Serving in kids' ministry. Not very glorious at times, but pleasing in God's sight. Volunteering at the food bank. Sending an, occur, an encouraging note, card, email, text message, 
cleaning up classrooms, putting away chairs, offering a ride, visiting a shut-in, spreading a kind word on the grand scale of things seemingly insignificant. But when done as an expression of love, when done as a, an overflow of God's love for us, oh, how pleasing, how pleasing these small acts of love are in the sight of God. Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, oh, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That word sincere, your obedience to the truth for his sincere brotherly love. That word sincere is fascinating. It's actually a compound word. Sincere. S-I-N-C-E-R-E. It's a compound word. And it's Latin in origin. And where it comes from is this. Sign Sarah. Spanish speakers, Portuguese speakers, you recognize that immediately because you, you know because of Portuguese, Spanish, these Latin-based languages, what that means, sign sera. It means without wax. And so that word sincere in the English language, it's actually Latin in origin, and that's what it literally means, without wax. How did we get from those words without wax to sincere? Very simple. Back in, in New Testament times, Roman times, on occasion, uh, a, dis, you know, a less than honest merchant who perhaps was selling earthenwares, vases or jars or whatever, if they were cracked, what he might do is he would take wax, he would melt it, and he would put that wax in the cracks wait for it to harden, smooth it over, paint over it so that no one could see the difference, and then sell it. Well, someone who's a little more honest, an honest merchant, what he would do is he would hang a sign over his, all of his possessions, the things he was selling, and he would hang this sign, sign Sarah, without wax. In other words, what you see is what you get. And from that, then, we have our English word sincere. What you see is what you get without hypocrisy. And Peter urges us, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, a sincere brotherly love, what you see is what you get. Oh, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And even those small acts of kindness, even what seems at times perhaps to be not the most rewarding acts of service, even at times those things we do that go unnoticed, oh, when done as an expression of love for God, and when done out of a sincere brotherly love, oh, how pleasing this cup of water is in the sight of our Heavenly Father. Oh, here's the fourth encouraging word. A great reward awaits God's people. There is a prophet's reward right in the middle of verse 41. A righteous person's reward at the end of verse 41. And then the one who gives even a cup of cold water to a disciple there is an eternal 
reward. Again, I think we go back to Matthew chapter 5, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we discover exactly what this reward is. And the Lord Jesus there declares in the Beatitudes, blessed are the, 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 the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what is it to possess the kingdom of heaven? What is it to inherit eternal life? Well, he tells us that blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. And so that coming day when we enter eternity, every cause of sorrow, every pain, every discomfort, every turmoil, every anguish, every agony, gone, but a shadow of memory as we enter into our eternal reward and know true comfort. And then he adds, oh, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. That a day is coming, a new heavens and a new earth. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 8, that all of creation which was subject, subjected to futility because of man's sin at the time of the fall, all of creation is waiting earnestly and anxiously and groaning with the pains of childbirth. Why? Expectantly awaiting what? The revelation, the redemption of the sons of God. And our glorification will usher in a, an entire renovation of the cosmos. And we might not have much now in this life. And the little we have might be disappearing before our very eyes. But we know we have this great reward coming when we will inherit the earth. Oh, blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Every struggle with sin, every temptation to sin will be gone. And blessed are the pure in heart, or isn't it not? They shall see God. And blessed, blessed are, are, are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or oh, the significance of the kingdom of heaven enumerated in the Beatitudes and all of these promises extended to God's children and held out before us as this great and awesome reward. I mean, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 14, after Abraham engages in that battle with those kings that invade the land of Canaan, and he chases after them with his 318 servants, and he rescues Lot and everyone else who had been taken captive. He returns home, and, and the Lord appears to him, and God speaks to him, Do not fear, Abram, your reward shall be very great. You know, by the time Abraham died, what did he possess? Sure, he had a lot of livestock. Sure, he owned a few acres. But Abraham never entered into that reward on earth. We read in Hebrews 11 that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That is the great reward, and that too is our great reward. The day is coming when we will know the comfort of all comforts. The day is coming when we will inherit a new heavens and a new earth, 
in which righteousness, perfect righteousness dwells. Oh, a day is coming when we will know full and complete satisfaction. A day is coming when we will see God. We will behold his glory in the face of Christ, and we will be like him. And a day is coming when God himself will own us as his sons, and we will enter into our eternal reward. And here's the fifth word of encouragement in our text. When God is big, people are small. That is actually Christ's main message in this sermon. He knows his disciples are going to struggle. He knows there are going to be seasons of, of, of doubt and perplexity as they face awful opposition. And the Lord Jesus is reminding them of their heavenly Father. And the Lord Jesus is ensuring that when God is big in our estimation, Oh, people and the opposition and the persecution will be small. In Proverbs 29, 25, we are warned the fear of man lays a snare. You think of a snare. It's hidden, isn't it? You can't see it. It isn't visible. You step into it undetected. And not only is it hidden, but it then traps and it holds, it captivates. And not only that, it eventually harms, if not kills. That is what the fear of man does to us when it grips us. Oh, but we go on to read in Proverbs 29, verse 25, that whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Whoever looks to the Lord, whoever knows the Lord and trusts in the Lord is safe because when God is big, people are small. And when God is big, according to Matthew chapter 10, we will fear him above all, verses 26 through 33. We will love him above all, verses 34 through 39. And we will serve him above all, verses 40 through 42. Five encouraging words. The encouragement of the scriptures by which we have hope. And I trust and pray that is our experience and reality this day as the Spirit of God makes the Word of God come alive to us and it is implanted deep within our hearts. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we do worship you this day and ascribe to you all glory, honor, and praise. And we thank you that in the fullness of time you sent forth your Son who was indeed born of a woman and born under the law to redeem us, to rescue us, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And not only that, but you have sent forth the spirit of your son into our hearts by whom we now cry, Abba, Father. May we be encouraged in the spirit this day. We pray that you would strengthen us, that we might abound in faith, hope, and love. And we ask it in the most worthy name of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen.
you'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus. We 
trust you, Lord. Your ways are higher than our own. We trust you, Lord, in all things we trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven and to your renown hear our hearts cry out singing holy is the lord singing holy is the lord singing holy is oh lord on oh, 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 wisdom strength as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray and ask, Father, that you would come quickly, come quickly to make things right. But until that time, find us faithful, find your church faithful, serving you, loving your people. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen. Church, go in peace.